It is so wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to be in Penang. I've really enjoyed your wonderful, wonderful hospitality here in this church. You have a team that cooks meals for hundreds of people every Saturday. That's incredible. And what beautiful food. Woo! I am so impressed. I have a number of things I want to share. Um, this topic tonight is on promoting the gospel at work. How do we actually bring the gospel alive in our workplaces? How do we do that? And when I say work, I don't want you to think of just paid work. When God looks down from heaven, he sees what we do with intent and purpose, and that is our work, whether it's paid, whether it's not paid, whether the context is a workplace or it may be in your study or it may be at home, wherever you are, that is your work that you can offer to God in worship. Now, I wonder, who feels ashamed that they do not share the gospel enough at work? I wonder who feels that feeling. I've heard this from several people. They have this feeling of shame that maybe they're not doing enough for God in this space. This shame or guilt problem is a big problem in Australia. And I think that is largely because Christians believe that their secular work is valuable only in two ways. And this may be how they think their work matters to their church. I wonder if you can imagine what those two ways are. Maybe the next slide will help you. <laughs> okay, the first way is we think that God is only interested in our work because in our work we can earn money so that we can actually give that to the church so the church can do the really important work, the gospel work that needs to be done. And the second way that we think that our secular work might be useful to God is because through our work we might build relationships with people and maybe in those relationships we can actually share the gospel with people and then we bring them to church. Now sharing the gospel at work I know is something that is a lot easier in Australia than it is here in Malaysia. It's, uh, you can't get thrown into jail for sharing the gospel in Australia. However, it is getting a lot harder in Australia as well. Recently, I heard about a university student, and what happened was he was talking to someone, she was sharing how she had quite a few problems, and he said to her, would you like me to pray with you? And she said, yes, I would like you to pray with me. And so he prayed for her. They were overheard by another student who went and complained to the university that this person, this uni student, was actually trying to promote Christianity. And so that university student was actually expelled from his course for praying for someone who actually wanted and welcomed that prayer. So the situation is changing, even in Australia. It's getting harder to be open about our faith. However, having said that, I think that these two ways that I'm talking about are actually mistaken, mistaken views of both the work and the gospel. 
the way God sees these things. You see, we have a very narrow view of work if we think that the only work that God is interested in is the sort of work that we do in a church-type setting, that God is only interested in our praying, our reading the Bible, our preaching, our sharing the gospel. God is not just interested in that work, that, that, uh, that sort of work. He's interested in far more. I think we also have a mistaken, narrow view of the gospel. If we think the gospel is only to save souls so they can go to heaven. That is part of the gospel, but I think it's just a part of the gospel. I think God has actually uh, given us the good news about far more, that Jesus' mission on earth is far more. The gospel that Jesus taught, the gospel that his disciples taught, was actually much bigger than that. And tonight we're going to examine that by looking at one Peter. We're going to look at Peter, who was the head of the church, and what he has to share with us about the gospel in a pagan place. We're going to go through this um, in detail. Peter wrote two letters to the church. He wrote them to the Christians who were actually forced out of Rome because of persecution. And they went to all corners of the Roman Empire, to all the territories. And Peter wrote them these two letters to try and encourage them wherever they were, to encourage them about their faith. And I think their letters that strike us as incredibly relevant to today, even though they were written thousands of years ago, they're actually really relevant for who we are now and where we are now. Uh, a couple of years ago, my minister um, said that he was preparing a series of sermons on 1 Peter, and he said he was so frustrated because he really wanted Peter to say, go out and share your faith with everyone you meet. But as he read this letter, he realized that actually there was no instruction to proactively evangelize in that way. And he was struck by that, and he wondered, what is happening? What is God saying to us if he does not tell us to do that? And that's what we'll be actually examining tonight. So let's pray, commit this time to God and ask him to open our eyes. Dear Lord, we come before you. We come before you humbly because we want to receive what you have for us through this letter. Thank you for speaking through Peter to so many Christians who were fleeing from persecution, who were fleeing from hard times, who needed this encouragement. And Lord, we need this encouragement now as we go out into the marketplace, wherever that is. We know, Lord, that sometimes we are fearful and we need encouragement. We need to know how we should behave, what we should say. Teach us now through your word. Amen. Amen. Hmm. So I'll start working through this and I want to start by saying, having a look at what Peter teaches to us in this letter. So he starts in chapter 1 from verse 3, actually praising God that we are actually a living hope. Sometimes we don't feel like that. <laughs> but we are the living hope for the world. Amen. We carry within us, we carry to other people this wonderful message of hope 
to people who are without hope. It says that this inheritance that we have is kept in heaven. It will never fade. In verse 7, we realize that we can have the proven genuineness of our faith that it may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Actually, it is in ourselves that God is working to build our character, to build us into people through whom his glory shines so that people will offer praise to God. We are the vessels of the gospel. We are the vessels of the hope for the world. And how are we going to do this? Well, chapter 1, verse 13, it says, be holy. That's a pretty tough thing to ask. It says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So actually, God is going to reveal himself through us as we strive to be obedient to him, as we strive to be different to those who are around us. And then we go to chapter 2 and we see that actually we have this amazing thing. We actually sang about this a little bit earlier. In verse uh, 5 it says, You are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Isn't that a beautiful image? Each of us is like a living stone that has been brought together to be built into a spiritual house. And then it comes out with this amazing description of who we are. From verse 9, this echoes Exodus chapter 19, when the people have been rescued out of Egypt and they gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. And this takes that same message about who we are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that mercy is available to us because Jesus died for us. He sacrificed himself for us. And then in chapter 2, it goes on to say how we should live godly lives in a pagan society. This is a message for us today. How can we live these lives? From verse 12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slave. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers Fear God, honor the emperor. So how do we summarize this? How are we supposed to live in a pagan society? How do we promote the gospel? By living good lives, by doing good work, good deeds, and by showing respect to authorities. 
it's not quite what we expect sometimes, is it? Surely there's something more. But this is what we are called to do. This is how we are told to live. And this showing respect to authorities and our submission to authorities, it's not just when things are great. Our example is actually Jesus. As it says in chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. As it says in verse 20, if you suffer for doing good and, not, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So even when things are hard, even when things are difficult, even when things are really tough, if we can bear up under that, if we can stay faithful to God, even at those times, people will see us and people will be touched by how we behave. It will be distinctive. And they will honour God. They will see God in us. This message is carried on in chapter 3. There's quite a lot in this letter about suffering. <laughs> and that's, of course, because at this time... Peter was writing to people who were suffering quite terribly under persecution. And so he keeps saying again and again, bear up under it. Remember Jesus. Remember what Jesus went through for you. And keep going. Keep believing. Keep relying on God. So in chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And then we have this amazing message. We finally get to the point where we witness for the gospel, where it seems very clear that we are to talk about the gospel. The astonishing thing is that it's reactive. It's not proactive. So we've gone through all this, and then from chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So we're actually told to live lives of humble obedience to God. We're told to do good work, good deeds, and this will lead to people asking questions. Maybe you've had that. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you had that experience at school. Maybe you've had that experience at uni. Maybe you've had that experience in your workplace. Maybe you've had that experience as you spent time with other families, with your kids, that someone says, why are you different? What's different about you? Why are you peaceful? Why do you have so much joy? What is different about you? And you have a chance to tell them. What is different about you? That is what Peter recommends to the church. And he goes on to say that we need to live distinctive lives. So in chapter 4, he actually describes what we need to guard against. And this is such a description of our age, I think. Possibly more of Australia than of Penang, but maybe you hear this anyway. From verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. 
but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so we're told to live distinctive lives, say no to that sort of behaviour, say no to the things that people entice us with and call us to be part of. We're distinctively different. We distinctively live our lives for God. And then in the last chapter of 1 Peter, he has a special message for church leaders. He says that church leaders should actually model what Jesus is like. So he says, watch over your flock, watch over the congregation like Jesus did. Jesus, of course, was the good shepherd who cared for his sheep. And then it tells leaders to be eager to serve, just as we remember that Jesus was the one who said he came not to be served, but to give his life and to serve others. And then the leaders are told to set an example of Jesus, to show people what Jesus is like, just as Jesus actually showed us what the Father is like. And although it says explicitly in 1 Peter 5 that this is what church leaders should be like, I think this is very powerful when whatever position of leadership we have, we actually behave like that. Imagine if as a leader in your workplace, as a leader at uni, wherever you are, you actually watched over other people. You actually treated people as if they were your flock and you were their shepherd. Imagine if instead of lording yourself over other people, you actually sought to serve people that you were in leadership over. How different would that look? And imagine if when people saw you, they caught a glimpse of who Jesus was. And that was very attractive and they wanted to know more. So what we have here is actually a really biblical view of work and the gospel. There are two sort of really key messages I want to highlight out of this amazing trip we've just taken through 1 Peter. First of all, I want to say that there is intrinsic value to our work, not just extrinsic value. Extrinsic value is when we get paid for the work we do, and then what we do with that money is something important. But it's not just getting paid for the work that's important. Actually, there's value in the work itself. God actually sees the work that we do, and it's part of what he wants to do through us. We're made in the image of a God who works, and we are made to work. Uh, Colossians 3.17 is one of my favorite verses. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. Whatever you do and wherever you do it, whether it's speaking, whether it's actions, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, sometimes you'll be able to declare that it is in the name of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes you'll be saying it in your heart as you go about your work. But do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it for Jesus' sake. And know that those things that you do, be grateful. Have a heart of gratitude to God for the opportunity to do it. So there is intrinsic value in our work. And secondly, our work is part of this process of gospel promotion. Gospel promotion, not just proclamation. 
We need to earn the right to share our faith. There is no point sharing our faith if our behaviour doesn't actually add up to a consistent message. But if we work really well and people see our work, then we earn the right to actually share something with them. And it is so much more powerful when it actually happens like that. What we have to do is work well, offer hospitality to others, do excellent work, show our good character, and that will invite the questions, that will invite the response, that will invite the opportunity to give a reason for our faith. I want to tell you two stories that illustrate this. The first story is about a radio journalist that I knew. Now, he was, um, he was a very keen Christian. He was a really enthusiastic Christian and he took every single opportunity to share the gospel and witness to the gospel. I heard of this because I had a friend who actually worked with him and she said that she was a bit nervous actually about calling herself a Christian at that same workplace. And here's the reason why. Because although he was enthusiastic about telling people what the gospel was all about, he was actually pretty slack on the job. People didn't respect the work that he did. He sometimes missed deadlines. He was too busy talking to people rather than doing his work. He had a bad reputation. And eventually what happened was that that reputation undermined the value of the words that he was saying. I want to contrast that with another man I know, Greg. He was a lawyer at a firm. He worked really hard. He worked really diligently for many, many years. The moment came for him to retire and he actually showed me the email that went to every single member of his company at the point he retired. His manager described Greg in the most glowing terms. And then his manager told everyone that the reason, part of the reason that Greg was such a wonderful lawyer and such a wonderful workmate was because he loved Jesus. He said he knew that Greg's faith was core to who Greg was as a person and as a lawyer. Now, Greg's manager was not a Christian. And if that message had come from Greg himself, it might have had less impact. But because this was an email sent by his manager to everyone in the firm, it had enormous impact, enormous significance. And Greg was able to answer many questions about why his faith made such a difference to the way he did his work. So what we need to go about is what I would call gospel working. This is what we need to be doing. And this is what gospel working is like. Gospel working is Bible-centered. It's centered on this word. It's informed by this word. Gospel working is about promoting the gospel. It can be in words. It can also be in actions. It emphasizes sharing our faith 
But that sharing can be in very subtle ways as well as very open ways, depending on whether we've been invited to speak, depending on the context and the situation. It emphasizes encountering Jesus in scripture, but also living the Christ life, showing people who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. It is about Bible-shaped working. And what I mean by that is that this word actually influences the way that we work. It influences everything we do. And it is about speaking the truth in love, as it said in 1 Peter, with gentleness and respect, because that is very enticing to other people. Now, it's not just Peter who thought that this was really important. The biblical basis for this sort of gospel working is from Jesus himself. It's from the lips of Jesus. We read about it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, earlier when I saw Pastor Isaac talk about that day in the, on the beach that you have coming up next Saturday that day where you're cleaning up all the rubbish. Wow, that's a wonderful thing. That's a glorious thing to be doing. What a way of serving the community. What a way of showing people good deeds. By cleaning up the beach, you are declaring that our God loves his creation. You are declaring that it's good to serve other people. You are declaring that you are prepared to stoop and clean up someone else's rubbish for the sake of God's creation and for the sake of your community. That is a mighty thing. That is a wonderful thing. What also are the good deeds that you could be doing at work? What is the good work that you could be doing that shines forth, that shows people what the kingdom is like, that shows people who Jesus is? What can you be doing? So how do we do this? I want to sort of give us five different ideas about how we can promote the gospel. First of all, as we read so directly in 1 Peter, we need to live and work obediently. There's no getting around that. (laughs) We're called to be holy, and sometimes that's hard, but we need to really strive to do that. But we strive in the energy and the power of God and his spirit and following the example of Jesus. Secondly, we need to integrate Bible knowledge with our working. We've got to see this book as full of truth and wisdom, which is truth and wisdom for the world. It's not just for the church, it's for everyone. Just to give you an example, I know a consultant who goes around and helps big companies do design work, and he actually uses Genesis chapter one as part of his process of doing that. So he starts them off and he says, right, we need to separate out the light from the darkness here. What is the light here and what is the darkness? And then he says, we've got to establish the foundations. We've got to establish these things, and then we can begin filling them. And if you look at Genesis 1, that is exactly what God does. He establishes the foundations, the earth, the sea, the air, and then he fills them in. 
He fills them in with animals and plants and fish and with birds. And so this guy actually uses what he sees as a pattern that's laid out in Genesis as part of the design work he uses in consultancy. Or maybe you work in human resources and you know that every single person should be treated with dignity because they're made in the image of God. And so that you will create policies and programs to actually demonstrate that. And you will drive the company to care for people well rather than seeing them as merely resources. So we live and work obediently. We integrate our biblical knowledge with our working. And thirdly, we defend the truth. And what I mean by that is we stand up for the vulnerable, we expose lies where necessary, and we tell people about corruption. That can sometimes be costly, but people really notice when you do that. I'll tell you about um, a pastor of a church who came up to me after I was giving a workshop once, and he said to me that he used to work in insurance from working in insurance to pastoring a church. That's quite interesting, but anyway. And he said that when he started off working in insurance, he was told by his manager that, you know, how to do this spiel to try and get people to buy insurance policies. And he would give this spiel for a while, and he was doing okay. And then he found out that something that was part of that message that he was telling people was actually not true. That actually there was a part of the contract that wasn't right in it. So he went to his manager and he said, this isn't true, we're selling people something that's wrong. And his manager said, oh, don't worry about that. The important thing is that they buy the insurance, that's the important thing, don't worry about that. But he did worry about it because he was a Christian and he didn't feel comfortable having taken people's money based on a lie. And so what he did was he contacted every customer that he had sold that insurance policy to and he told them exactly what they had bought. And he offered for them to actually return that policy and to be refunded their money. And he paid back his commission that he'd earned for anyone who wanted it paid back. Well, he didn't earn a lot of money for a while. (laughs) But the amazing thing that happened was, he told me, was because he did this, People trusted him. And he said they would tell their friends, you can talk to this guy, you can actually believe what he says. And after two years, he found that actually he had a much better business than other people in the company. He became one of their best-selling insurance people. And it was based on truth and integrity and firm relationship rather than based on lies. So we need to defend the truth, even though at times it costs us personally. The next thing we can do is to link up with other Christians in the workplace. I was talking to someone after the workshop that I ran this afternoon. She said she's the only Christian she knows in the workplace. Uh, So that's really tough. So I encouraged her to find other people who could really gather around her and pray with her. But often when you start asking, you find other Christians. There is one or two other Christians there. And really try and encourage and support each other. Help each other to band together and to be strong. And then, finally, we can seek opportunities to bear witness to the gospel. So if someone commends you for your work, point to the person who is the source of the strength and encouragement and often the wisdom and creativity that we need at work. Point to God. 
Show people what Jesus is like. Invite questions. Pray for opportunities. Ask God for opportunities to in some way bear witness to him and respond to any prompting that you sense from God. I want to tell you about my friend Catherine. Catherine was one person who felt really guilty and ashamed because she said she felt like she never shared the gospel enough at work. Well, she ended up having a bit of a reframing as uh, she and I talked about some of these ideas about gospel working. So she decided to change her whole tactic. She was the leader of a team, and instead of just trying to find places when she could talk to them, she decided that what she would do was actually love them. (laughs) She would love them as much as she could. She would care for them. And she said the biggest thing that she did was she turned from trying to talk to them all the time and tell them stuff to actually starting to listen and understand. She said it changed so many things. She was quite shocked by the difference it made. What happened was that people started to come to her. There was one guy in particular, he was the most rampant atheist on her team. He used to mock her for her Christian faith. When she started to listen to him, she started to ask him questions about his background and what was going on. It turned out that his home life was a complete and utter mess. And she told him, I'm going to pray for you. Well, anyway, after a few weeks, she actually ended up getting chronic fatigue and she had to leave work and it was just at the point where people were beginning to come to her and she just thought God what are you doing she was forced to rest at home but what happened was her team started coming to her home and telling her they missed her and this one guy in particular he came to her home and he said I want to pray for you well she said to him Which God are you praying to? (laughs) And you're an atheist, don't forget that. He said, I'm going to pray for your God because I know your God loves you. And he said, and I think your God might also love me. She just wept. (laughs) She never expected him to say something like that to her. She continues to see these deep relationships form in her workplace in a place where she never imagined the gospel to actually gain any ground at all. But now she works with God in what he is doing and realizes that he's preparing hearts. He is actually going ahead of her. He's preparing the way for his message. There are many, many biblical examples. One of the great teachers on this subject is Paul Stevens from Regent College. I know he's actually done quite a lot of work in Malaysia. Maybe you've heard of him. He shows us that in the Bible, there's so many examples of where God is actually at work in the marketplace. He talks about Joseph, who was prime minister of Egypt. He talks about Esther, who used her influence in the palace. He talks about Nehemiah, who was cupbearer for Xerxes, and then actually went and under, uh, underwent this amazing building project, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He talks about Daniel, who's was part of a leadership program in a foreign government. He talks about Jonah, who had this amazing ministry to sailors in the middle of a storm. He talks about Paul, 
and the tent making that Paul did. Paul did a lot of work in the marketplace. He built relationships as he worked at his tent marking, tent making in the marketplace. He used that workplace to make contacts, to influence others, and to preach the gospel without asking for dollars. And then Paul also points out how many images there are from the workplace in what Jesus taught. Um, I went through and did a bit of a list of this just from Matthew, and there are so many agricultural um, workplaces mentioned. We hear about seed planting, we hear about sheep, we hear about vineyards, but Jesus also talked about building, he talked about serving, he talked about tax collectors and managers and landowners, he talked about garment makers, he talked about doctors and teachers, he talked about merchants, he talked about fisher people. So many examples. The Bible is full of these examples of work and the workplace. So I want you just to take a little while now to reflect and share. I want you to think about how is God challenging you to promote the gospel in your workplace, whatever that is, paid or unpaid workplace, at home, at study, wherever you are. What has he laid on your heart as I've been sharing, as God has been speaking to your heart? Just take a moment to quickly share one or two ideas with the person next to you. How have you been challenged? Go for it. Oh, you're so shy. Come on, talk. Permission to talk. <laughs> Okay, I hope some of that sharing has been an encouragement to each other. Maybe there's stuff that you need to talk to God about as well. But let me pray for us as we consider these things. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that it informs not just what we believe, but how we should act as well. Help us to be careful in the way that we actually use the Bible in our workplaces. Help us to be faithful to its message. Help us to do your work in the places that you have sent us. Help us not to compromise what your word says. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to use working situations as opportunities to teach truth. Help us to make links between our working and your world. Help us to be conscious of those who need wisdom from the scriptures. Help us to have opportunity to clarify and explain where we can. Grant us to take every opportunity to reveal the good news of new life in Jesus, whether through words, whether through organizing activities, specific good deeds, offering hospitality, but especially in the way we work and what we accomplish with our working to your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.